0: We're starting a new series today on Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians is a New Testament book, so you can find it in uh, in the New Testament after uh, the Gospels. So the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then comes Acts, then Romans, then First Corinthians, then Second Corinthians. It's called that because it's written to a group of people who lived in a town called Corinth, and it's Second Corinthians because it's the second letter we have to them in the Bible. Uh, The reason we're studying this book, this particular letter, is because it's a letter that's all about weakness. And I am just a weak person, and I need this. Uh, The burdens of life are too heavy. Um, The burdens of you know, for me, where I feel it the most is just the burden of being a pastor. I'm not, and I'm not trying to get you like, come up after the service like it's okay. I'm just, I'm just saying this is tough. It's a hard job. And so I feel overwhelmed. I feel weak. I feel not up to the task personally. And maybe for you, your job is like that too. Maybe you've got a job that just weighs you down and it's, it's really tough. There's a lot of responsibility and it feels like too much and you just don't know that you can do it. Or maybe for you, it's a different kind of burden. Maybe you're burdened by money. Just financially, you, you're just having trouble paying the bills. You're not sure if you're going to make it and that weighs on you. You feel weak financially. Or maybe you feel burdened by grief, you've experienced the loss of a loved one. Or you're fighting a disease and and you you feel weak and burdened, you can't handle it on your own. Or maybe for you it's relationships, maybe you're burdened by troubles in your marriage. Or uh, maybe you've got a lot of conflict in the workplace, or kids that are estranged. And, And these things, they weigh on you, they're burdens, you feel weak, you can't handle it. This is who we are. We're a church of weak people with big problems, and that's why we need 2 Corinthians because 2 Corinthians is the book in the Bible about weakness, and it has help for weak people like us. Now, this book is a letter written by Paul to a church that didn't believe in weakness. So these were guys um, and gals who thought that life was meant to be one success after another, victory upon victory upon victory. And the Christian life, especially the Christian life, now that we believe in Jesus and we've got his victorious power, the Christian life is one of success after success after success. It's about strength, not weakness. That's what they thought. And because of that, they were beginning to question Paul's leadership. You see, Paul had founded this church and then moved on, as he did, to, to found other churches. And, and, and people came in behind him. And, and as these other leaders came in, they saw how they lived and what they looked like. They thought, we like these guys better than Paul. Paul doesn't seem like the sort of life we want to imitate. Because when you look at Paul and the life he lived, it was a life full of suffering, full of weakness, it's not the sort of life where you would naturally say, I want to take life advice from that guy. It's kind of like when you're trying to pick a financial advisor. You don't like pick the one that's got really ratty clothes and drives a beat-up car. Because you, you want somebody who you know, at least wears nice clothes and has a reliable car. Because you think, well, they at least know how to handle money. Maybe I can trust them with mine. But that's not what Paul's like. Paul's this suffering, weak, just he's... He's beaten all the time. He's always poor. And they say, why? Why, Paul? Why would we follow this guy? He seems pretty weak. And so Paul writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, to these people to teach them and to teach us that weakness is actually strength. That in the Christian life, weakness is the way of the Christian life. It is totally normal for Christians to feel weak and to feel overwhelmed and to feel burdened by the sufferings of life. It's what 2 Corinthians is about, but, but importantly, here's the secrets that we all need to know, and we're going to spend some time in this book until we know this. that yes, it is normal for Christians to experience weakness and suffering. But if in that weakness we learn to rely on the strength of Christ, we will find the power we need for any situation any time. Yes, weakness is normal. But if in our weakness we learn to rely on the strength of Christ, we will have all the power that we need. That's what 2 Corinthians is about. And we need that. I need that. So we're going to spend some time in this book until that becomes a part of our DNA. As we start the book today in chapter 1, Paul, in this letter, dives right in to the main question that we all ask when we begin to experience suffering, or talk about suffering. And the question is, why? Why does God allow suffering in my life? Why does God bring weakness into our lives? Why isn't the Christian life, like the Corinthians thought, success after success after success? In this one passage, we don't get all the answers to that question, but we do get two really good answers. And so let's read the passage. And then that's our goal today, to try to give two really good answers to the question, why am I suffering? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and, of, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. All right. The question today is, why does God allow suffering in my life? And before we even get into that, I want to make it more specific. So I want you to think right now, not about suffering in general, but about your life. Think about a particular experience of suffering in your life. It could be something you're going through right now, maybe something you experienced in the past, but something hard. Maybe it was a health problem or uh, a season of depression, maybe it was something at work or something with money or some, a death of somebody. So I'll shut up, give you a second, think about that. All right, now, I want you to write that in on the first blank in your outline. I want you to personalize this. So on your note-taking outline, you've got this question, why did God allow blank to happen to me? Okay, you fill that in. You put that personalized. I want you to be thinking about a particular suffering. And now as we go through, I want to try to help you to answer the question, why? Why that? Why did God allow that? And again, Not every answer is in here, but two good answers are. And here's what they are. God allows us to suffer, first, so that we learn how to comfort others. And second, so we learn to rely on God and not ourselves. Let's look at the first one. Why does God allow the suffering to happen to me? So that I can learn how to comfort others. As we look at our passage, there's three parts to this. So the first part in this process is God afflicts us. God afflicts us. Look, in verse 4, it says um, that God comforts us in all our affliction. So we suffer, we have affliction. Where does that affliction come from? This is not the main point of this passage, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the reality is it comes from God. God is in control. The suffering that's in our lives, the affliction that happens to us, God is in control of that. He allows it. He brings it in our lives. I like to think about it with the, uh, the illustration of a coach with a team. You know, good coaches do bring suffering into the lives of their team. Good coaches make their team run sprints and do conditioning and all this stuff that is painful and feels like suffering. Good coaches don't do it as punishment. They do it for a purpose, to make the players into the best players that they can be, And it's an important part of what they do, okay? The same way God does that for us. So we will experience affliction and suffering in our lives. And it's part of God's plan. God does it as a good coach, as a good father, desiring to make us the best people that we can. So that is a reality. We experience affliction. But that's not the main point of this passage. The emphasis is on what comes next. First God afflicts us, but then, but then God comforts us. So that's the second step. God comforts us. Paul starts off with these praises in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. That's who God is. He's a God of comfort, a God of mercy. Yes, he brings suffering into our lives for a purpose and for a time, but after that, he loves to bring mercy and comfort. So we can continue the illustration. You know, if the coach makes you work hard in practice and the coach um, forces you to, to, to do things you didn't want to do and, and it hurts and it's tough, at the end of the practice, the coach brings all the Gatorade you can drink and energy bars and, you know, you got ice baths and massage tables and whatever it takes to bring you comfort to make up for the suffering that you experience. That's what God does. It's the kind of God he is. He's a father of mercies and Comfort. Now, why does God do that? Why does God comfort us? You may think, well, that's a stupid question. God comforts us because he loves us, because he's nice. He wants us to be comfortable. That's surely part of it, but that's not the answer that's given in our passage. You see it in verse 4. So here's the pattern in verse 4. First, it says, God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See the progression there? So we're afflicted, what happens? God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be comfortable? No. So that we may comfort those in affliction with the comfort God gives to us. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable he comforts us to make us comforters. To continue the coach illustration. Coach makes you work hard, you suffer, but then he brings relief. But here's how he does it. He goes to the team captain, and he gives the team captain all the Gatorade. He gives the team captain the keys to the locker room where you got the ice baths and the whirlpool and massage tables, and he just lets the team captain have it. Now, what's the assumption? Well, the team captain could drink all the Gatorade himself, he could open up the locker room for just for him and relax in there all by himself. He has an abundance of comfort. But that's not why the coach gave it to him. The coach gave it to him so that he could distribute it to the rest of the team. The coach wants him to share the love. And that's what God wants for us too. Just notice in these few verses how many times it comes up. And you've seen it in verse 4. see it again in verse 6 where Paul says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. See it again in verse 7, where he says, um, We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comforts. That's the process. God God comforts us, not to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. We are afflicted. Then God comforts us. And then we take that comfort He's given us and we give it to others. Okay, so simple progression. I think you're tracking with me. You get it? There's three steps. God. Afflicts, God comforts, and then we comfort others. The question you might be having is, could we just drop off the first step? Second two are great steps, right? God comforts us, we comfort others. I like that. I'm on board with that. I like God comforting me. And hey, if he wants me to comfort others, I'll do that. Could we just avoid, though, the first part where I suffer? Wouldn't I be just as good at comforting other people if I didn't have to suffer first myself? But of course, the answer to that is no. You're not. We're, we're not. I'm not. I'm not as good at comforting other people if I haven't first suffered. If you want your comfort to be effective to others, you have to go through it first. For example, there's a, a man named Joe Bailey. and He wrote a book called The View from a Hearse which is his true story over the course of a couple decades of having to bury his three sons at three different times. And at the death of his second son, he experienced two different people trying to comfort him over this great loss. Here's what he says. I was sitting, torn by grief. Someone came and talked to me of God's dealings, of why it happened, of hope beyond the grave. He talked constantly. He said things I knew were true. I was unmoved except to wish he'd go away. He finally did. Another came and sat beside me. He didn't talk. He didn't ask leading questions. He just sat beside me for an hour or more, listened when I said something, answered briefly, prayed simply, left. I was moved. I was comforted. I hated to see him go. The two would-be comforters trying to help a guy who's just buried his son. What's the difference between the two? The first one was trying to bring comfort by saying true things about God, true things about life and death, but he had never experienced grief himself, and so he didn't understand how these cliches were coming across. He didn't realize he was being no help at all that the guy he was trying to comfort just wanted him to leave. But the second friend knew what it was like to grieve. So when he came to bring comfort, he was able to give real comfort. He sat with him, he prayed, he gave the gift of his presence, of himself. He listened, and Joe hated to see him go. Now the difference between these two friends was their own experience of suffering. The first one tried to comfort without ever having suffered himself. The second one comforted out of the suffering he'd experienced. This is why we have to suffer first. This is why there's three steps in the process and not just two. God afflicts and then God comforts so that we can comfort others. This is true of all the comfort we give to other people across the board. I mean, if you, hmm, people who've never been depressed are, are just terrible at comforting people who are depressed. Why can't you just stop feeling sad? Why don't you just get up? What's wrong? There's nothing wrong with you. Like, not not really. Just get up. Terrible. People who've always had a good job and plenty of money are terrible at comforting people who lose their jobs. You don't understand. You you don't get what it feels like to be a guy who's just lost his job and may lose his house and everything's falling apart. You you haven't been through it. You're not good at comforting Married people who have never had a fight are not good marriage counselors. You know the best marriage counselors are? Are the people who've had really tough times, who've suffered in their relationship, and by the grace of God made it through that. They know what you're going through. They know how to help. The ones who suffered know how to comfort. So as you look at your own life, And you look at the suffering and the affliction that you have experienced, that God has brought into your life. I'm not standing here telling you I know exactly why, in every conceivable way, why God has brought that suffering into your life. I don't know that. But here's a reason. One reason why God has brought that suffering into your life is he wants you to be qualified and equipped to help others who are going through the same thing. God has afflicted you so that he can comfort you so that you can comfort others now what this means is that your suffering your story is not the liability that you thought it was your suffering is an asset see sometimes we hide our suffering we hide our weaknesses we don't want people to know what we've been through because we're ashamed of it it's failure It's weakness. So we're ashamed to admit that our marriage wasn't always perfect. We're ashamed to admit if we've had bankruptcy once or twice. Or we're ashamed to admit if we have a mental illness. Or if we were addicted to pills. We're going to hide those things. Don't let people know that. Just show them the shiny exterior. Because we think if people knew these things about me, then that would disqualify me from being helpful. People need strong people. People need people who have it all together. But what Paul's teaching us here, what God is teaching us is that it's not our strengths that make us useful. It's our weakness. It's our sufferings. It's only because we've suffered that God can use us to help those who are suffering. In God's economy, the weaklings are the heroes. It's the broken people that he uses. So don't hide your suffering. Don't be ashamed of it. Use it. Use it. Look around and see other people are going through the same things that you've been through. If you've experienced the comfort of God, then use that comfort to comfort others. Take that comfort he's given you and pass it on to them. That's why he gave it to you. God allowed suffering in your life that he might comfort you to comfort others. That's one reason. But there's another reason. Given in verses 8 through 11. Why did God allow this suffering to happen to me? Why this? Why did God allow this? Second reason? So that I could learn to rely on God and not on myself. That's why. It's one reason. So that I could learn to rely on God and not myself. In verse 8, Paul shares... Some of his story, not a lot of detail, but powerful. He he says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We don't get a lot of detail here. People speculate. Well, what was this affliction? I don't know. But what we see is that it was really, really bad. You notice the descriptive phrases that he piles on here. It says, We were utterly burdened, beyond our strength, despaired of life itself, felt we had received a sentence of death. Life's over. What's it mean to receive a sentence of death? He's like, well, that's it. There's no hope. This was really, really bad, whatever it was. So he's experiencing severe suffering. And it's worth pointing out here and I say this not to condemn anyone, just to enlighten us. It's worth pointing out here that one of the things that we often say to one another, one of these cliches, is not strictly true. We often say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Okay? I, I know where that's coming from. I, I get what we're trying to say, but, but, but we say this. We say, God won't give you more than you can handle. But the point here in chapter 1 is specifically that God gave Paul more than he could handle. I don't know how else he could express it. He said, we were utterly burdened, beyond our ability. We despaired of life itself. God gave me more than I could handle. Now, why would God do that? Why would God give Paul or you or me more than we can handle? He tells us in verse 9, second half, right? That was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. One of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the reasons why God brings suffering in your life and affliction in your life is he wants you to stop relying on your puny strength and rest in his infinite strength. Sometimes we're like the construction worker who was working on a high-rise building and the project was behind schedule, It it was over budget, and so they were working hard, working around the clock to get this building done. So he's working at night in the dark. He's up on the high rise on the high steel, walking along, doing his work, and he slipped and he fell. But he just barely grabbed onto the beam as he fell, and he's hanging there on the beam. Of course, he's crying out for help, but nobody can hear him because all the construction clatter going on. And so he's just hanging there, hanging there. His strength is ebbing away bit by bit until he just can't hold on anymore and he finally lets go. And he falls about three inches to the scaffolding that was there the whole time. But he couldn't see it because it was dark. Sometimes that's like what we do. We're walking along in life, things are okay, and then we slip and we fall and... Hard times come, but we manage to hold on. We've got the strength. We save it. And we hang there. And then God brings more trouble in our lives and more difficulty, and our strength ebbs away and it ebbs away until we just can't hang on any longer. And we finally give up, and we let go, and we fall into God's arms, which were there the whole time with his infinite strength. And his infinite power. See, God's power is always there, just like the scaffolding was always there. But we ignore it as long as we can handle things on our own. As long as I have the strength, as long as I can hold on, I'm not going to let go. But it's only when we're at the end of our ropes, when we're finally to that place where we can't do it on our own, that we ask him for help. And of course he's there. But God loves us enough to not let us go through life without His strength. And so He does bring affliction into our lives with the express purpose of getting us to the end of our strength so that we will finally let go and trust in Him. He does give us more than we can handle. Personally, I feel like I learned this in seminary, not in the class. Um, but through personal suffering. I remember this talk that the dean of students gave to every incoming, I guess we're freshmen, I don't know, um, first-year seminary students. We're all there, and he gave his talk, and he said something like, um, very bluntly, God is going to break you while you're here. If God's going to use you in ministry, he is going to bring you to the end of yourself. He's going to do that so that you don't go out from here full of yourself and inflict damage on God's people. God wants you to go out from here, not in your strength, but in his strength. So before you leave here, he said almost prophetically, you will suffer. God will break you so that you don't trust in your own strength, but in his. And that prophecy came true. Um, For some people, I think the class load broke them. Uh, but if you know me, you know school is my thing. If there's something I can do in my strength, it's school. So that wasn't going to get me. Uh, for some people, it was money, just the, the hardship of, of doing it all right there, you know, going to school, having family, um, just providing for them. But God had blessed me with a scholarship. I had a really good part-time job. I had good savings from my previous job. I got, you know parents who were a great safety net. So I was like, yeah, money, that's not going to break me. Uh, so what got to me, as many of you know, is, is sickness. You know, Jen shared this, I've shared this, but when, when she had Ange, our third child, deep depression. Like nothing I'd ever experienced before. For her, she, she was depressed. But what broke me was there's nothing I could do about it. Right? I mean, if, if, if I needed better grades, I knew what to do for that. If I needed more money, I knew what to do for that. How do I make somebody better? How, how, I don't know. I was at the end of my strength. And when I got to the end of my strength, I began to pray. Maybe, you've been paying attention, you realize I was a seminary student when I began to pray. Now, I'd prayed before, obviously, but I never prayed like that. I never prayed with desperation, with regularity, um, never with a sense of, I am utterly burdened beyond my strength. Who will deliver me from this? I never prayed with a fervent desperation for the power of the God who raises the dead. And as I began to pray, at the end of my strength, in the beginning of God's strength, He delivered us. It wasn't overnight. It wasn't one prayer and then deliverance. But He delivered us over time through prayer, through His grace. And He delivered us again and again and again. And, and what I experience now is for every new trial that I face as a pastor, a person, God keeps delivering me. That's what Paul says, right? He says he delivered us. Verse 10, he delivered us. On him we've set our hope, he will deliver us again. His strength is there. He continually delivers us. When we get more than we can handle, it's never more than he can handle. But I never would have learned that lesson if God hadn't brought me to the end of myself, if he hadn't afflicted us. That's what God was doing with Paul. He brought him to the end of himself so he would rely on God. That's what God's doing with you. He's bringing you to the end of yourself. God brings suffering in your life because he wants you to let go. He wants you to admit that you can't do it. He wants you to trust in his strength like you've never trusted before. And the only way that you will ever get there is through suffering. So what should we do if we find ourselves at the end of the rope? We'll look at the next verse, verse 11. It says, "You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many." Prayer. If you're going through suffering, you need to be praying. I mean, it's, it's almost reflexive when you get to that point. You say, I, I don't know what to do, God help. Yeah, you start to pray quickly. But notice, Paul doesn't say that he prayed for himself. And he doesn't tell the Corinthians that they need to pray for themselves. Instead, he says, you need to pray for me. Verse 11, he says, you also must help us by prayer. You must help us. Paul says, I'm so weak. I'm not even praying for you right now. I need you to pray for me. And this is true for all of us. We need the prayers of other people to get us through what we're going through. This is, again, where our pride rears its ugly head and tries to stop God's work because we don't want to ask for help. All of us want to be the strong ones. We all want to be the ones who help other people. None of us want to be the ones receiving help. And even if we do find ourselves being needy, we like to think, okay, well, I'll pray, but I don't need to ask anybody else to pray for me because then they would know what's going on and that would be embarrassing. But God doesn't want you to suffer alone. He doesn't want you to pray alone. He wants you to have help. He says, pray for me. You must help in prayer. So if you're suffering right now and you know you need God's help, Don't settle just for praying on your own. Do pray. Do pray on your own. But don't settle just for you praying. Enlist other people to pray for you. Be bold enough to admit your weakness and say, this is what I'm going through. I can't handle this. Could you pray for me? Get a team of people to pray for you. I'll say, I'm happy to be part of that team. I am, in a sense, already on your team. I am praying for all of you regularly. It's part of my job. Take it seriously. But some of you, I'm probably not praying for you as well as I could be because I don't really know what you're going through. So if you want one more person on your team, you can tell me and let me know what's going on specifically so I can pray for you in that way. But also, there's plenty of other people who want to be on your team. The elders of the church want to pray for you. Your friends and family want to pray for you. So please, don't hide your weakness. Don't hide your suffering. Express it. Share it. Ask for prayer that we can labor together. So that, as it says in verse 11, that when God answers these prayers, it's not just you rejoicing, but it's all of us. That many will give thanks on your behalf for the blessing granted you through the prayers of many. I've said a couple times, this is not the last word on suffering. This does not explain everything about it. It doesn't give every reason why bad things happen. But it does give two reasons. God has brought suffering into your life. He's brought this affliction into your life to teach you how to comfort other people. So don't hide your suffering. Use it to comfort others. And he has brought suffering into your life to make you rely on God and not on yourself. So start praying and enlist other people to pray for you to see what God will do. Father, I'm grateful so much for the prayers that I've had uh, given to me in my life, the many people that have prayed for me and continue to pray for me. Um, Boy, I need that. And I, I just pray on behalf of all our church that you would be building up more and more these teams of people who pray for one another. May we be honest about our weaknesses. Boy, the devil wants us to pretend we're strong, that we might not actually be helpful to one another or receive the help that we need, but you want us to admit our weakness. And so we confess, we're weak people, we have so many things that we cannot do on our own, but you are strong. So I pray that you would unleash your strength in our lives as we rest in you. Bring deliverance, raise the dead, and we will give you great thanks, in Jesus' name.